When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, politically motivated. The White House coming out swinging, slamming the special counsel's report that questions Biden's memory. But will that defense work? Plus, fears growing in Gaza as Israel warns the war may soon escalate again with a new ground incursion, a move that puts Israel at odds with the U.S. And he pushes Trump's lies about January 6th and the election, moves that could actually help make him the next chair of the RNC tonight, a special K-file investigation. Let's go out front. Good evening, America Hill, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, on the defensive, the Biden administration launching a full court press to counter the damning special counsel's report about President Biden's handling of classified documents. Vice President Kamala Harris leading that charge, calling the report politically motivated. As a former prosecutor, um, the comments that were made by that prosecutor, gratuitous, inaccurate, and inappropriate. The way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated, gratuitous. The spokesman for the White House Counsel's Office echoing the vice president. The gratuitous comments in the report are troubling and they're inappropriate. Troubling, inappropriate, gratuitous words you'll continue to hear. The White House clearly doing all it can to portray that 388-page report as nothing more than a partisan memo as opposed to a legal document, a document in which special counsel Robert Hur decided not to charge President Biden for his willful mishandling of classified documents. Findings, though, overshadowed by Hur's opinion that Biden had, quote, diminished faculties, describing him as an elderly man with a poor memory who, in interviews, did not remember the years he was vice president or when his son Beau died. Troubling allegations for a candidate struggling to combat concerns about his age. The White House now says it is actually considering whether to release a redacted transcript of Biden's interview with her. Arlette Sines is out front, live tonight outside the White House. So Arlette, this transcript, what would that change? What does the White House believe it could show? Well, Erica, it could address some questions about special counsel Robert Hur's characterization of President Biden during that, that two days of interviews that his team conducted here at the White House. The White House right now is not ruling out the possibility that they could release these transcripts, but they have noted that it would be difficult to do so given that there is a lot of classified information in there. So there could be a possibility that they could release this transcript if there is a way to redact the information. Uh, that is classified. But it does come as we have really seen the White House shifting into full damage control mode. And they've really been escalating their attacks and trying to discredit special counsel Robert Hur's report. You've heard that from aides at the White House podium, aides behind the scenes, and also Vice President Kamala Harris herself. She tried to point to her own experience as a prosecutor to try to call out Hur's uh, statements as inappropriate and also politically motivated. But what's also clear here is 
that this is a, a report that has personally infuriated President Biden. We saw that publicly last night, especially when it came to the fact that her tried to raise uh, the fact that Biden couldn't remember when his son, Beau Biden, died from cancer. That is something the president spoke out about last night. We're told that privately he was even more direct in his fury, telling a group of Democratic lawmakers behind closed doors, quote, how would I effing forget that? But it really comes as the White House is now grappling. They had hoped that this report, the headline coming out of it, would be that there were no criminal charges facing the president. But now they are having to combat these questions about age, which voters have consistently raised as a key concern about the president as he is seeking re-election. So it's clear that this has thrust those uh, concerns and issues about the president's age and mental acuity front and center in the 2024 campaign once again. Arlette, appreciate the reporting tonight. Thank you. Karen Finney and David Urban join me now. So, Karen, in that press conference last night, the president made another gaffe when he was talking about Israel and Gaza. Here's mm -hmm. that moment. I think that, uh, as you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. Al-Sisi is, of course, the president of Egypt, not the president right. of Mexico. Paul Begala earlier today said on CNN that press conference made things worse. He said it's, quote, terrible for Democrats. Karen, do you agree? Well, can I just say, if you actually play the full clip and listen to the rest of his answer, he actually goes into a very substantive, nuanced conversation to answer to the question about the negotiations to release hostages and how to actually get, um, you know, the ceasefire. So he, here's what I think, though. I mean, I think for both Trump and for President Biden, they're both old. They're about the same age. That's not going to actually change. And I think it's a disservice. The real question is not, are they old? It's, can they do the job? And so I think the analysis that we need to be doing is looking at both of these men and saying, can they do the job? I completely understand why Nikki Haley, for example, attacked Donald Trump when he referred to her when he should have done Pelosi. It's, you know, but I sort of thought ultimately, like, that's not the reason that people either will or won't vote for him. I think in this instance, the report itself and the press conference just creates more red meat and feeds this narrative in terms of age, which, again, I think what we need to be doing is saying, OK, that's a factor. Absolutely. However, underneath that, what are they capable of doing the job? And let's compare both men, their records, what they're telling us that they want to do if they are, you know, reelected. I think that is kind of does more of a service to the American people than having this sort of gotcha of every time somebody, you know, uses the wrong word or, or makes a, a, a slip like that. Look, in a perfect world, we would do nothing but talk about issues. <laughs> so I don't disagree with you there, right? We would all like to look at issues and facts. But the reality is, these are some of the things that gain traction. This has been, David, mm -hmm. there's no denying, this has actually been very effective for Republicans yeah. as they're trying to go yeah. after Joe Biden. Donald Trump does have his own issues when it comes to misspeaking. They are a similar age, of course. Are we just sort of stuck with this until November, that this is going to be the conversation? Well, yes, and and and, and Erica, my, my friend Karen there gave you a completely good answer to uh, you know a question you didn't ask, right? You asked the question is was it, did Joe Biden help himself last night? The answer is no, he didn't help himself. He dug Actually, a that deeper wasn't hole, the question, first row David, holes. And I when, did answer it. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I no, said when you're, when yes. You're in a hole, it stop gave digging, political right? fodder. 
It was terrible. It was terrible. Listen, when last when last week when he's uh, when he's talking about you know dead you know foreign leaders Mitterrand and and coal and confusing things and then the the big knock on Joe Biden is he's too old and he's out of touch. You don't go out and keep digging a hole, right? Just stop, stop. Go out, go out on the campaign trail and show people you're vigorous. That's what you want. You want to prove you're vigorous? Go prove it to people. Go out and do unscripted press conferences. Go into diners, talk to people, sit down, get on the campaign trail. But you're not going to see it because Joe Biden can't do that, right? That's the fact of the matter, and it's, things are going to change. And if he, you know, that's you, Erica. You asked the question: Is that how it's going to be from now to the election? It is going to be that way because people have a real question. This isn't David Urban. This isn't just some right-wing conspiracy. These are Democrats that are concerned about Joe Biden's viability and ability to do the job as president. Karen, a spokesman, we were just talking about this with Arlette, right, that the yeah. spokesman for the White House Counsel's Office had said they would consider releasing that transcript. Do you believe yeah. that would help, laying out more of that, of the conversations that happened yeah. in those interviews? You know, a couple things on that. Having gone through this uh, on the Clinton campaign when we were dealing with Hillary's emails, this issue about uh, redacting national security uh, information is very real, and it may end up taking longer than they think, just having been through this once before. So I'm not sure that's going to be the quick answer that, that folks think. It may. It may give more context. I mean, I thought, for example, today, Ian did a really interesting job of there were things that are in the beginning, uh, ways that the special counsel characterized, uh, you know, added sort of his own uh, color and shading to things where further on actually in the text, which nobody's going to read, but on page 200, this and 200, that, actually it contradicts, you know, the facts actually contradict kind of the way he sort of describes certain things. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that it will, but it, it couldn't help. But again, I think we have to recognize the report. There's two pieces to this. One is the political and one is the legal. Right. The political is the one, though, that's continuing to get most of the attention. Um, David, I want to get your take on this. Donald Trump has been fairly, fairly quiet, right, in the grand scheme of things. Posted a map on social media tonight, though, labeling Egypt as Mexico in the corner. If you can see there, it says source Joe Biden. So trolling President Biden there. Donald Trump, of course, though, has had his own issues. Um, but it's interesting that he has been fairly quiet since all of this came out. Does that yeah, surprise smart. you? Yeah, smart. smart. Yeah, Erica. Yeah, right. it's smart. Smart, Listen, it's but smart. does that you surprise don't want to go you? No, listen, he's got the, you know, Susie Wiles, Crystal Savita, the campaign team around Donald Trump this time, best best you're going to get, best in the world, right? They are world class, and they are running this campaign tight. They're going to keep the president on message best they can, and this is one of those times where they're keeping him on message, keeping it tight, and I don't think you're going to see out there. Listen, there's a, there's a saying in the law, right? Race ipsa loquitur. The, th the thing speaks for itself. You don't have, you watched Joe Biden last night, you don't have to do much editorializing. David, Karen, good to have you both here tonight. Thank you. Thanks. Out front Thanks next, as Israel hints at a new expansion in Gaza, there are mounting questions about whether there's anywhere left for refugees to go. We are live in Israel. Plus, Trump's new political power move, backing a man who spreads his conspiracy theories about the 2020 election and January 6th, backing that man as just the guy to head up the RNC. Uh, we do, we know, do that know that there was massive fraud that took place. Who is he? We've got a special K-File report. And North Korea welcoming its first tourist since the pandemic to, get this, a ski resort. This, as a woman who escaped the brutal regime, shares what life is really like in that secretive country. We all do things our own way. 
And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Tonight, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu telling his military to draw up an evacuation plan for another city in Gaza as he preps for a massive new invasion. Netanyahu's comments just hours after President Biden said he found Israel's actions in Gaza have been over the top. What would Netanyahu's order mean for the people in Rafah? Jeremy Diamond is out front. Gaza's last refuge now risks becoming Israel's next military target. 1.4 million people crammed into the southernmost city of Rafah, now living in fear, as Israel says this is where it will launch its next offensive against Hamas. Everybody is afraid. We are proud that what happened in Gaza City does not happen in Rafah, because if the same happens in Rafah, we will have no place to go. Where are we going to go? To Egypt? Only God knows if they will welcome us or not. The Israeli Prime Minister says a Rafah offensive is critical to destroying Hamas and that the military will plan for civilian evacuations. They'll soon go into Rafah, Hamas's last bastion. They will do so, as they've done up to now, by providing the civilian population safe passage to safe zones. But with widespread destruction in Gaza, where will they go and how will they live? We can't get out of Rafah. We have no other alternative. Either we die here or we die in our homes. We have nowhere else to go. Among the sprawling tent cities, humanitarian aid groups offer a lifeline here, one that is severely lacking further north. If we go to Gaza City or Khan Yunus or Anos Sirat, we're not going to find the supplies that were provided for us here in Rafah. There's no place left. That's all. No place left. The United States now sounding the alarm. The conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. Warning an Israeli offensive in Rafah would be a disaster. Absent any uh, full consideration uh, of protecting civilians at that scale in Gaza, um, military operations right now would be a disaster for those people, and it's not something that we would support. Smoke already billows over the Rafah skyline, where the Israeli military has conducted several airstrikes in recent days. As women mourn their loved ones, the destruction wrought by one strike offers a glimpse of what could come. Today, if you throw a stone from the roof, in Rafah specifically, it will hit 10 people easily. 
What about three rockets falling on a house where every room, every room has a whole displaced family, a family with a father, children, and wife? The consequences of war in Gaza's last haven. And Erica, as Israeli leaders very publicly telegraphed a potential offensive in Rafah, a Hamas delegation has been in Cairo meeting there for, on potential talks for a hostage deal. A major question tonight, whether or not this uh, planned Israeli offensive is aimed at trying to pressure Hamas into that deal. But negotiating tactic or not, it is very clear that the implications and the fear in Rafah are very real. Erica? Yeah, absolutely, Jeremy. Appreciate the reporting. Thank you. Out front now, Democratic Congressman Jim Himes. He's the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. Good to have you in the studio with us tonight. Uh, President Biden has qualified the response in Gaza as over the top were his words. Would you agree with that assessment? I'm not sure I'd use exactly those words, but I would say that the uh, next two months, next two and a half months, need to look very different from the last two and a half months. There are now some 28,000, 27,000 fatalities in Gaza. That just can't continue. Uh, and, and yes, a meaningful portion of those are Hamas people who we don't terribly uh, mourn for, uh, but an awful lot of those people are civilians. The humanitarian situation there is very, very dire. And so, you know, every opportunity I've had uh, to speak to senior Israelis, I have said we totally understand the right to uh, self-defense. What happened on October 7th is inexcusable. But uh, this, the nature of this war going forward needs to change in a much more humanitarian direction. John Kirby said on Thursday, warned essentially that an offensive in Rafah would be, in his words, a disaster and not something that the U.S. would support. Prime Minister Netanyahu has asked for evacuation plans to be drawn up for Rafah. You mentioned how you've pressed and made clear to Israeli officials how you feel about the humanitarian crisis. How much is that being brought into consideration, do you believe, as further plans are being made? Well, I, I, I can't speak, obviously, to how, uh, you know, U.S. pressure is affecting war planning inside Israel. Uh, you know, the prime minister uh, has been extremely aggressive. Uh, you don't, on the one hand, you don't blame him for being aggressive, considering the horrors that were visited on his country uh, on October 7th. On the other hand, uh, it's not clear to me that the prime minister is really thinking um, about what happens on the day after, you know, how this comes to a close. He says that Hamas will be eradicated. I understand as a politician the political power of saying that, but the idea that he is going to kill every last member of Hamas in Gaza is just not credible. So I hope that the prime minister begins to think about not just the short term, but the medium term and the long term. We'll continue to watch that situation. I do want to talk to you about some things domestically as well. Um, you had said, and you've said repeatedly, um, when it comes to these classified documents, it's not okay for a Republican or a Democrat to have them, right, as we're looking at now. Moving on to the special counsel's report involving President Biden's handling of classified documents. You said you were profoundly troubled last year. In terms of what was in the special counsel's report, is there anything that you saw or read that was troubling to you in terms of President Biden's handling of those documents? Well, um, I mean, let me just make the blanket statement. Uh, we cannot have classified information out in the wild. And that applies to a you know, junior airman in Cape Cod who was responsible mm -hmm. for a brutal release of uh, classified It applies to a president of the United States and to an ex-president of the United States. It's classified for a reason. And if the wrong classified information gets out there, American officers can die. So full stop, not okay. And, and you know, the president uh, bears responsibility uh, for what he did. Donald Trump bears responsibility, et cetera. So, but back to the question, was there anything in this report that was troubling to you in terms of President Biden's handling of classified information and documents? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. 
uh, you know, there, I have a lot of Republican colleagues who are saying this just shows that there's a two-tier system of justice, which is total baloney, right? I mean, read the indictment of Donald Trump, read the special counsel's report, and you will see that Joe Biden handled this radically different in every way, cooperated. A day after, we were just talking about Israel, a day after the brutality of October 7th, he sat for a five-hour interview. Uh, and so, you know, this idea that there's a two-tier system is just baloney. Look, I, let's address the elephant in the room. Uh, this feels to me like a second Comey moment, right? You know, before an election, a special counsel or an investigator writes something that is gratuitous and irrelevant. That is to say what the special counsel wrote about uh, Joe Biden's memory. Uh, you know, that is no more relevant than if a special counsel were to, to write that, you know, I don't think this person would be good in front of a jury because they're not particularly attractive. So as we look at what happened in the wake of that, right, and the moments that were in that report about President Biden's memory, about how he would come across to a jury, about the observations of President Biden, the fact that he came out so forcefully in that press conference last night, and then, you know, used the name of the president of Egypt, but said he was the president of Mexico. There has been pushback. Uh, Senator Mike Lee, raising concerns, saying in his words here, posting on X, it was a significant threat to national security and urging cabinet members to invoke the 25th Amendment. Yeah, okay. Your response to that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't surprise me coming from Senator Lee. But if that's the standard, let's just accept that as a standard. Then I want to hear Senator Lee to, to apply precisely the same standard to Donald Trump, who famously said that Viktor Orban was the fabulous leader of Turkey. So, I'm in politics, and I'm a lot younger than either Donald Trump or Joe Biden. I make mistakes from time to time. I say stupid things. Uh, and so, you know, again, I wish we could just, you know, not see the blatant hypocrisy that we're seeing here. Here's, here's what we've got in November, an election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Is Joe Biden a 44-year-old JFK? Of course he's not. But he is a man with a heck of a record to run on. Uh, there will be much more to talk about between now and November. Nice to have you in the studio. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Up next, Trump's push to make over the RNC includes a man who claims there was massive fraud in cities like Detroit and Philadelphia in 2020. Plus, learning in a war zone will take you deep underground to see the classrooms in Ukraine's subway system, all part of an effort to keep kids safe. New tonight, audio uncovered by CNN's K-File, showing why Donald Trump may be zeroing in on a particular North Carolina Republican to take over the RNC. The current chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, is planning to step down. CNN learning Trump felt she didn't do enough to push his claims of voter fraud on the heels of the 2020 election. So now he's eyeing the chairman of North Carolina's Republican Party, who has said this. Regardless of how... Uh, these lawsuits come out um, around the country uh, with the presidential race. Uh, we do know that there was massive fraud that took place. We know that it took place in places like uh, Milwaukee and Detroit and Philadelphia. So what we actually know, if we look at facts, is that there is no evidence of massive fraud. When it comes to the lawsuits as well that he mentioned, it's important to remember Trump lost more than 60 cases that were filed. Out front now is K-Files' Andrew Kaczynski. So um, what else did you find in this report? Yeah, that's right. We found that in the weeks after the 2020 election, he repeatedly promoted lies about election fraud, saying that these Democratic-run cities were basically engaged in wide-scale fraudulent activities. And I think it's important for people to remember the context in which these comments were made. Um, people probably remember that Trump and his team were just throwing out false claim after false claim of fraud when this was going on, claiming that people were busing in ballots from New York and all sorts of other things. I mean, in one comment, Watley actually claims that uh, Republican poll watchers weren't allowed to watch the votes uh, being counted. Now, we know 
that is false. And we actually we know from those 60 lawsuits that you just mentioned and all of those recounts that there was no massive uh, voter fraud that took place. But this is something that he said time and again, that there was, quote, as he said, massive fraud and Philadelphia, uh, Milwaukee, Detroit. He said they were engaging in egregious violations of election law in these cities. And because of this, uh, he wanted the courts to uh, overturn the results in those states, take the presidency or or the victory in those states from the legitimately elected person, Joe Biden, uh, and give it to Donald Trump. Take a listen to his comments here. It really is uh, kind of a scary proposition to think that you're going to have a court uh, overturn, you know, uh, some of those results. But uh, that's that's really the plan. And, you know, I, I get asked every single day by a reporter, you know, why do you keep alleging that there's fraud out there? And, and it's like, you know, all you have to do is look at the stories that we're seeing out of Philadelphia. We're seeing out of the Detroit area. We're seeing out of Milwaukee, um, you know, egregious violations of, of election law. Uh, and, and there's no question why it puts these elections at risk. It is something you also found um, in your research and your reporting here. Michael Watley actually backtracking on some of the comments that he made about January 6th. That's right. So immediately uh, after the Capitol riot, he issued uh, this tweet. And I, wa- I want people to look at it uh, because what's really interesting uh, about this tweet is that we found that he actually deleted it. Mm. Uh, and now we've seen Republicans who have walked back uh, statements about January 6th. Uh, we specifically asked him uh, about this deleted tweet. And he, didn't, he didn't respond when we asked him about that. And then just uh, a month after the Capitol riot, he went on local radio uh, and he even suggested that January 6th was not done by Republicans. Listen to him here. Most of the people that, that, that have been arrested were not necessarily Republican voters. Uh, there are certainly Trump supporters in there, mm-hmm. uh, but we've also seen others, you know, and, and we're going to unequivocally uh, condemn those actions. So we did reach out to him. We asked him uh, you know, about a couple of things. We asked him about those, about the deleted tweets. We asked him about those comments and, and he didn't respond to those, but he did give us a statement where he said there is no question that changes to the 2020 election election process which weakened safeguards on absentee and mail-in ballots in some states led to distrust in by many across mm. the country. And I firmly believe in having proper safeguards in place to ensure that it is easier to vote and harder to cheat. Be interesting to watch where this goes. Great reporting is always appreciated. Thank you. Up next here, kids near the front lines are now spending their days in makeshift classrooms deep underground inside the Ukrainian subway system. Plus, never before seen images of a North Korean labor camp where workers shovel bodies like, quote, garbage. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Tonight, new video into out front showing the utter destruction of Avdivka in eastern Ukraine. It's the current epicenter of the war. The city just devastated after months of intense fighting. And all of this comes amid a major shakeup in the Ukrainian military. A newly installed commander taking charge after President Zelensky fired the general who'd been leading the war effort from the start. Fred Plykin is out front following tonight a group of children adapting to the realities of war. 
Extra special braids is what six-year-old Elmira wants for school because simply going to school is special here in Kharkiv. And it's dangerous. So dangerous, they had to move classes underground. For many children here in Kharkiv, this is the reality of their school day. They go down into the subway because everywhere else in the city is simply unsafe. The city built classrooms here. They call it the Metro School. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Here we won't hear anything, she says. Hear what, I ask? The bangs, she says. Bangs happen nearly every day here in Kharkiv. Russia's army shelling the city, killing and wounding hundreds since the beginning of the invasion. But down here, kids can be kids. The classrooms are soundproof, locking out not just the noise of the subway that's still running, but also the thunder of the war that has already affected these youngsters so much. On my birthday, for some reason, a war broke out, Elmira tells me. February 24th, 2022, all Elmira wanted was to celebrate her fifth birthday. But Vladimir Putin's troops were already storming Kharkiv. Firing from Russian territory towards the territory, I would say around Kharkiv. Reporting from the Russian side of the border, I saw the invasion firsthand. Uh, On the receiving end, instead of the birthday party, Elmira and her friends had to go to the bomb shelter. I even started crying, she tells me. I thought it would be the end. They try not to talk too much about the war in the subway school, but the children coming back here now have been scarred for life, the teacher says. They had the look of adults who had already experienced hardships, she says, experienced the hard days and months of this war. There are no regular functioning schools in Kharkiv. It's either the subway or online classes. And the city doesn't believe that will change soon. They're building bunker schools because children here wouldn't even have enough time to get to an air raid shelter, the mayor tells me. The S-300 missiles reach Kharkiv in about 35 to 40 seconds, he says. Therefore, no air alarm can work. And the only way out is to build such underground facilities, real underground schools. Back at the subway school, every day, a minute of silence for those killed by Vladimir Putin's war against Ukraine. But then the kids sing their national anthem, showing the Russians and their leader that no matter how many missiles they fire, Ukraine is growing stronger, its future brighter every day. Kropleikin, CNN, Kharkiv, Ukraine. Up next, North Korea welcoming its first tourists since the pandemic, and it says a lot when you learn where they're from. Plus, one of the most watched events of the year, and this year, it's more than just the bad blood between the Chiefs and the 49ers. It could bring in millions more viewers. Tonight, 100 Russian tourists, you see the group there, touching down in North Korea. They're actually believed to be the first tourists to enter the reclusive nation since the COVID-19 pandemic. Their arrival also underscores the deepening ties between the two countries. Two countries, of course, at odds with the U.S., and this comes as we're also getting a rare look at life inside North Korea in a remarkable secretly recorded footage from the critically acclaimed documentary Beyond Utopia. 
Just take a look at these never-before-seen satellite images of a gulag and listen to the man who survived it, losing 91 pounds in the matter of just a few months there. Also featured in the film, North Korean defector Hyun Seo Lee. Aaron spoke with her and with the director, Madeline Gavin, about this BAFTA-nominated film. I am so grateful to be with both of you and to see you again, Hansio. Um, Madeline, let me start with you about this access. We just looked at that, those satellite images. You were able to obtain those. Uh, no one's seen those before. You've got videos of defectors leaving, uh, you know, the brokers on the China-North Korean border are working with them. You've got their actual escape. Uh, you've got video of police abusing North Korean defectors, Chinese police, uh, that was presumably CCTV of some sort, but you were, you were able to obtain it. How did you get this access and footage? Yeah, so um, there's actually three different sources for what you talk about. The, um, the satellite imagery of the gulags is from the Committee of Human Rights in North Korea um, in Washington, D.C., and there was obviously a whole process involved in getting clearance for that satellite footage. Um, in terms of the footage inside North Korea, including the you know torture footage, but also just footage of people on the street. Yeah. This yeah. This really this was during the research phase when I was researching the film, and this is what drew me in to making me want to make this film because or feel like actually this film needed to be made because you know I was feeling the pulse of people inside North Korea, seeing people inside North Korea living real lives, and there was like a stark contrast between what I was seeing there and what we see in terms of what is actually allowed out of North Korea by the Kim regime. You know, and essentially what we are able to see usually is what the Kim regime wants us to see. So finding this footage was like finding a treasure trove of horrific, of a horrific reality. And, you know, and I realized there's 26 million people in that country and we're no, really not hearing from them. I mean, it is incredible because yeah. some of the footage, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at it going, my goodness, right? And to your point, 26 million people and yet we don't see their lives. I mean, Hyunseo, you were a child in North Korea. I, I, obviously, you lived there until you were 17. And I know when you defected, it had to be so secret you couldn't even tell your mother. But in the film, Hyunseo, you talk about some of your childhood experiences and it's incredible. You talk about practicing for those mass games. Now, some of those images are things that, that the Kim regime does want the world to see. All those children performing in unison. But here's how you described it, Kensio. We usually practice on the cement. So kids were rolling on concrete for months. Some kids even broke their jaws when they fell on the ground. I mean, Kensio, these children as you point out, were as young as five years old. You talk about how school is, was canceled because uh, children needed to witness executions. You saw one when you were seven years old. Um, now you have Kim telling women in North Korea to have more children, uh, that there's a real issue with the birth rate. Do you believe the hesitancy that women there have in having children comes from any of this, comes from them seeing the suffering of, of their own children and their own experiences? First of all, the babies, when they're born, the baby's die rate is uh, super higher than 
the other countries, and also because of the starvation or lack of, you know, food, everything. People, not like women, they don't want to marry or they don't want to have a kids. I mean, Madeline, North Koreans, as as among the many things they're taught, Hyunsu is you know referring to right the the ignorance, right? They're they're taught certain things, they're not exposed to other ideas. Um, it's a psychological study of what, what could happen to any group of humans, right? And yet they're taught from an early age, for example, that Americans are evil. Um, some of the propaganda that North Koreans grew up with and Hyun Seo grew up with, um, you know, there's these, these images, you know, North Americans are going to kill you, right? Um, in the film, you interview a woman. This really stood out to me, 80-year-old grandmother. So she fled from North Korea. She defected with her family. But what was amazing is she made it very clear she fled because her family fled, and she felt that she would be targeted if she stayed. So her reason was pragmatic. It was not political. It was not, um, you know, you know, unprincipled. And she said this. that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it was so amazing uh, to spend time and get to know the Roe family along the way and to watch the sort of what I call the unpeeling of an onion, you know, of, for instance, grandma, who for 80 years had believed in her bones, in her blood. I mean, she believed wholeheartedly in the Kim regime. Mm -hmm. She was, she has tr had tremendous guilt toward Kim Jong-un. She was extremely angry at defectors for abandoning him. Um, and to watch her kind of grapple with what she's known to be true versus what she was experiencing and how she would kind of go back and forth in this dialectic within herself. Um, but yeah, she defected only because she felt she had to. She had no choice. Her daughter was, was going. I mean, the family was going to be banished, so they would not have survived if they had stayed in North Korea. But nevertheless, if she yeah. thought she could have stayed on her own and, and, and made it, um, she would, she have. would have. It's amazing. Hyunsio, when, when you and I met in Seoul uh, in 2015, you didn't want the cameras to show where we... Uh, where you lived because you were afraid that North Korean agents would find you. And at that point, you, uh, you hadn't lived uh, there for many years. But one of the things, Hyunsio, that I have never forgotten about our conversation then is that you told me that if you had to do it all over again, because of all of the difficulty that you faced after leaving North Korea, that, that you would have stayed. And now that you have... Uh, done this film and, and you see everything there, you see others who have left and you have lived now another nine years of your own life. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, you know, on the outside, I might look normal, but on the inside, still I'm suffering from uh, enormous pain because uh, 
or I left my relatives and friends, and I had to be separated from my family for 14 years and 17, left behind 17 years of memories. So still the pain stays with me wherever I go. That's why I was doing to international community to raise awareness of our issues. So at the end, many people, if you know about these issues, we have the power to end this modern-day tragedy. Hyunseo, thank you so very much. And thank you very much, Madeline, as well. And I hope everyone will see Beyond Utopia. Thank you. Up next, it's the countdown to Super Bowl Sunday, or, I mean, let's be honest, this year, isn't it really Swifty Sunday? Tonight, are you ready for it? The Super Bowl is, of course, the biggest night in sports, but with Taylor Swift expected to touch down in time to cheer on her boyfriend, Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, it's a pretty safe bet there will be almost as much attention on the pop star as there is on the game. Nick Watt is out front. I mean, the anti-hero song, I mean, that, that one's pretty sweet. Uh, so I, I would say that. But, uh, the Super Bowl star quarterback days before the big game answering questions about which of a teammate's girlfriend's songs he likes the most. I do love Love Story. I mean, it gets me every single time. More than 100 men will be on the field Sunday, eclipsed perhaps by one woman in the stands. Here is Taylor Swift and the NFL by the numbers. The Chiefs won nine of the 12 games she attended this season. You can now bet on what color shirt she'll wear Sunday. Red is favorite. She's reportedly added over 300 million in brand value to her boyfriend's team, the Chiefs, and the NFL. What do you say to those who think it's all scripted by the NFL? <laughs> I don't think I'm that good a scripter. To the Jets' Chiefs game October 1st, she brought along 2 million new female TV viewers. The director reportedly cut to her. 17 times. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, took a deep dive on that stat. How often is Taylor Swift actually shown at NFL games? Their conclusion? Less than many seem to think. Still, right-wing TV talking heads are getting their boxers very bunched. Well, around four years ago, the Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated turning Taylor Swift into an asset during a NATO meeting. Build them up, build them up, build them up. And then at the moment of truth, they're going to endorse Biden. In 1949, George Orwell had a vision of the future. As Orwell predicted our surveillance age, as Caravaggio predicted our narcissistic selfie obsessions, so Swift predicted falling in love with a football player. In 2008, You Belong With Me. Whether she'll make it in time from a concert in Tokyo to the Super Bowl in Vegas has generated acres of copy, infographics, even an assurance from the Japanese embassy. Is it only the 49ers quarterback who just doesn't care? Well, obviously our defense going against Pat Mahomes and, and they're a great offense, so um, that's how we're looking at it. We don't, we're not trying to get wrapped up in us against Taylor Swift or anything like that. So. Do you have a favorite Taylor Swift song? I don't. Perhaps Brock Purdy doth protest too much. Now, more than 100 million people will watch Sunday, and it's worth remembering that right at the center of all this razzmatazz and hullabaloo, 
Just a young couple of kids in love, getting to know each other's yes. professions. As Taylor Swift told Time magazine, football is awesome, it turns out. I'm just there to support Travis. There. I did it. I said Travis for the first time in this entire report. That was impressive. Okay. Can I just say for the record, once again, I love a Nick Watts story. Any night, this was especially fantastic. Thank you, my friend. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Thank you. AC360 starts right now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.